baptism as he builds and journeys from this point of dedication this morning. I wanted us to look at the baptism of Jesus in uh, Matthew 3. It's not the only uh, gospel that talks about it. And uh, hopefully just take a few things um, that might be helpful just while you're turning there. Just to say, baptism uh, is almost like the wedding ring of the Christian faith. Uh, my wedding ring, this is my third ring, uh, not because it's my third marriage, just because I'm terrible at uh, keeping hold of rings. Uh, it doesn't mean that it doesn't make me married. It doesn't mean that I'm married, but it is a symbol of the marriage. And baptism is a symbol of a person's faith in Christ. It is like a public affirmation, a public declaration that Claire has uh, put herself in Jesus and responded to the invitation of salvation and turned away from sin in repentance and turned to Christ. And so it is this symbolic thing, but we just don't think it's symbolic. We also see uh, in the baptism of Jesus and then through the early church that the Spirit was very much present. So it's not just that we're doing something. There is something going on. There is something of Christ as we baptize Claire later on. And as Claire goes into the water, uh, it will be symbolic of essentially a cleansing, a turning away from sin, uh, turning to Christ in repentance. As she comes out of the water, it's symbolic of coming into new life. And so there's loads and loads going on. Baptism is for Christians. It is for those people who follow Jesus. Uh, up until about AD 200, there wasn't a gap between the two things. Somebody said they believed in Jesus and they were baptized. Uh, it is only kind of more these days that there's a bit of a gap, and that's fine. But I just want to say, if you are a new Christian uh, and you haven't been baptized, you don't have to have the gap. Uh, if, if you really know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, we could baptize you today, and you could be number two in the hot tub, just trying to put it out there. Uh, it doesn't make you saved. Baptism doesn't save you. As I said, it is the kind of the wedding ring, the symbol of what Jesus has already done. It is an outward sign of an inner change. That's what baptism is, and that's what we're going to do. In Jesus' baptism, if you have your Bibles, I'll pick it up in uh, chapter 3. John says this in 11. John is already doing baptisms. I will baptize you with water for repentance, but he, Jesus, is coming after me, is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's another sermon for another day, but it was a prophetic word of what was going to happen in Acts 1 and Acts 2. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be, ba John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be done now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. I want to just share three thoughts 
from the baptism of Jesus that I hope will be helpful for us all, whether we've been baptized or not, whether we were Christians for a long time or Christians for a short time. And they're all to do with identity. They're all to do with identity. Have you ever had a, a, an issue with mistaken identity? Anybody been mistaken for somebody? I was mistaken for Seth Rogen in a bar in Krakow by a group of very drunk stags. Uh, and I just played on it for the whole night. It was great fun. <laughs> I had curly hair and uh, the glasses that Seth Rogen copied from me. And, and so, uh, I don't know if you've ever been mistaken for identity. Once I had a meeting in a previous workplace, I was meeting uh, a Premier League football team that shall not be mentioned. And uh, I thought I was taking the CEO's administrator with me in the car. And uh, it wasn't until we got back on the M5 after the meeting that I realized the CEO was with me in the car and not the CEO's administrator. And so I didn't realize who was in the car with me. And you start backpedaling on all the conversation you've just had. And you think, have I just said something about the CEO? Turns, this is not. This is the opposite of what's happening in this text. John does not mistake who Jesus is. He foretells what Jesus is going to do. He says, "I'm not worthy to tie his sandals." He is going to baptize you with fire. But then Jesus comes to John and says, "I need to receive this baptism." But John has already been baptized in the Jews in a baptism of repentance, in this kind of coming of the Messiah. He's calling the Jews to say, "Be baptized in repentance and turn towards the Messiah." And so when Jesus comes and says, I need to be baptized, John can't compute it because this was for people who were sinners. And John knew that Jesus wasn't a sinner. Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way, but he was without sin. And so John can't compute this. Why would you, Jesus, who isn't a sinner, who is without sin, why would you want to take on the sinner's baptism? And Jesus says it is to fulfill all righteousness, which is one of those things that you know there's probably a lot going on, but it's not obviously clear what's going on, to fulfill all righteousness. And so the question is, why did Jesus want to be baptized by John? What does fulfill all righteousness really mean? And there have been tons of theories and lots of books sold answering this particular question. Papers written, why Jesus wanted that. And there's loads of views, and maybe some of them have some truth. I think, and this is just my opinion, I think the truth of it is, the answer is simple yet profound. I think the reason that Jesus wants the baptism for the sinners it's because right at the outset of his ministry, his public ministry, he identifies with sinners. You see, Jesus uh, is a God. Jesus is God who identifies with his people and identifies with sinners right from the outset. When he came as a child, he didn't come on some kind of thunderous cloud with a choir of angels announcing his arrival. He comes in a stable in humility. He comes with people gathering around him, people who are sinners. He comes by Mary, who was a sinner. He identifies with sinners in his birth, in his death. Even in his death, he identifies with sinners, two of them either side, one either side. And as one reaches out to him, him. Jesus reaches back and promises that today he will be in eternity. In his ministry, he is known to identify with sinners. He goes and has meals and reclines at tables with the tax collectors and the people that society generally thought should be the misfits and on the outskirts. He goes and eats with them. 
He thought Zacchaeus up a tree. Nobody wanted to go for dinner at Zach's house. But Jesus spots him up a tree and says, Zach, tonight I'm going to come and eat at your house. He allows the sinful woman to touch him and to cry and weep over him. He allows the woman who is with blood to touch him. All through his ministry, he was about identifying with sinners. And friends, this is not a God who is in some far-off place, who scatters the order and events of the universe and stands back and says, you guys get on with it. This is not a God who is watching from some cloud in the sky, who is waiting to trip us up and to smite us. This is not a God who exists in some place where we have to work ourselves up to him and it's about what we do and our achievements. This is a God who right from the outset of his ministry identifies with people like you and me. And that's why he took on the baptism. That's why he said, I will go to the waters because it's a sign of going to the cross. I will identify with the sinners because I will become sin, 2 Corinthians 18, and I will come out of the waters because I will defeat the great dragon of death, showing everybody that I really am Messiah. I really am the Son of God. I am that I am. This is why he begins his public ministry in this place. And if that doesn't pierce and grab your heart, and encourage you, I don't know what will, because tomorrow morning, I know I'm going to wake up feeling like a sinner. I know that sin is going to be in and around me, through me all day. But I also know that it was an absolute priority that he would identify with me. I also know that he, in this moment, made sure that he came and dwelt in the flesh, in the carne, in the meat, to be with his people. And friends, this is the God we worship and love. This is the God that we worship and love, that he would identify with us. That he, who knew no sin, would become sin. Not squirrel sin away, not neatly tidy it under the rug, that he would become the essence of sin manifest, so that we would know the righteousness of God. Isaiah 53:12. It was among the transgressors that he was counted. And through him many would know righteousness. How? Because he bears their iniquities. This is the God who identifies with us. Second thing is, this is the God who tells us that identity is important. Have you noticed that as Jesus comes out of the water, of all the things that the Father could have said to him, as he begins his public ministry, of all the things that could have been declared to the witnesses and the crowd that were gathered, the first thing he says is, this is my son. Son, this is my son. Why in that moment did he not say, this is the Messiah and you need to do and listen to everything that he says and does? Why wasn't there a choir of angels? Why wasn't there something like a, a mountain thundering or a thunderbolt from the sky? Why is it in this particular moment that the thing that the father thought was the most important thing to say was, this is my son? 
Friends, the answer is this. Because there has been a war on identity for 2,000 years. And identity is at the core of the gospel. Identity is at the core of who we are. He tells us that we are a chosen priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are God's special possession. We are a new creation. We are fellow citizens. We are children of God. We are his handiwork. And for 2,000 years, the enemy has done all that he can to make us question our identity. Did he really say that? Is that what God really meant? Are you really his kids? Are you really his daughter? Are you really his son? Have you ever been to a carnival or a fair where they've got the funky mirrors? I mean, I quite like them. And the reason is that if I go to the right mirror for a second or two, I can, t- I can dream. This is what it would look like if I was slim. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, and I'm not the only one who's done that in the room. I know that for a fact. And it may be that some of us are vertically challenged. And maybe you like the mirror that stretches you this way somewhat. And you say, this is what it would look like if I was tall. Or maybe some of us are super tall. I don't know. But when we look in the mirror, what we get from the carnival mirrors is some kind of reality. It's some kind of truth because it is our image, but it's a distorted truth. It's not actually the truth, is it? It's not actually the real image of us. And folks, today, there are carnival mirrors all around us that are looking to give us a sense of truth, some kind of distorted reality of who our identity, what our identity is. Some of those carnival mirrors might be our jobs. Some of those carnival mirrors might be status. Some of it might be wealth or the things that we acquire. Some of it might be really, really good things, our homes, our families. They're carnival mirrors that have an essence of truth, but it's not quite the real image of who we are. And yet so often we'll take the carnival mirror and we'll say, this is my identity, this is who I am, this is what I'm all about. Other carnival mirrors that have shaped us as a culture uh, include things like Nietzsche. Nietzsche said that as a culture, as human beings, we are all about power. We're all about power. And so everything in life is about power. And human beings are designed in such a way that they have to overcome the power. They have to become the ubermensch, the overman. Some people live with that carnival mirror. They think that all of life is about power structures. And so they see the oppressor and the oppressed. And all of life is about that. There is some truth in that, but it's not the full truth. For Darwin, it was the blurring of the lines of human and with the essence of humanity and animal and about the survival of the fittest. And essentially that all of life originates at the beginning from some quite random events. And because of that, we should count ourselves among the animal. Now, there may be some truth in that, but it's a carnival mirror that's giving a distortion of the truth. And some people live in that way. They live with that identity. For Marx, it was that, well, actually, the human essence itself is malleable. It can be changed. And he predicted that the Industrial Revolution would actually change the way that human beings are. Not just change what we do, but actually change what we are. 
And some people believe that. Some people live with that. It's like a carnival mirror. It gives us something of truth, but it gives us a distortion of the truth. And so all of these things are flung up around us to give us some kind of sense of identity. The sexual revolution, I keep going on about it because it shapes so much of our thinking. It promised us that if we pull our identity out of ourselves, that is the highest form of living, that you identify who you are. That's what the sexual revolution said. That the best way to live is for you to decide who you are. The highest form of living. And that if we do that, we would experience freedom. That's what it promised us. But what it's led, by all accounts and by all studies, is less intimacy, less relationship, less people engaging in sexual activity, amazingly. It hasn't given us freedom at all. It's a broken promise that hasn't worked, and it hasn't been cohesive for our culture and our society. It was a carnival mirror that gave us some sense of truth, but it was a distortion of the truth. Identity is at the heart of the gospel. How do we find that? C.S. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity. The more that we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let Jesus take over, the more truly ourselves we become. Our real selves are waiting in him. Our real selves are waiting in him. Jesus puts it more bluntly, Matthew 10. Whoever loses his life will find it. Whoever loses his life will find it. Can you think of a more countercultural statement than that in the days that we are living? To really find yourself, to really find your identity, you need to lose yourself. You need to let go. He adds in Mark 8, what good is it to gain the whole world and to lose your soul? And so Jesus says there's a deal here. The deal is that you can build your identity on all of these carnival mirrors and you can pick and choose which ones you want. They will give you a sense of truth, but it's a distortion of the truth. And maybe they'll give you a sense of affirmation and value and all of those things. But your soul will be dead. You can gain all of that stuff, but your soul will be dead. Or you can be disciple to me. And as your disciple to me, you free yourselves of things like guilt and shame. As your disciple to me, you free yourselves of being able to not relate to other people. You free yourselves of unforgiveness. You free yourselves of the burden of sin. As your disciple to me, you discover who you really are when all of these things are lifted off of you and in him, your true self is waiting. That's where our identity is. Did anybody see uh, this week the interview with Deli Ali? Amazing footballer, played for an amazing club uh, called Tottenham Hotspur. And... Um, and in the last two or three years, just almost gone off the radar, just suddenly not able to play very well. And, and as, anyway, we won't go into it. But he did an interview to try and clear up some of the uh, narrative. But one thing he said is, he said, I had all of this and I just felt so empty. 
I felt so empty. Could you think of somebody more who at 27 had gained the whole world than Dele Alli? Playing for England in a wonderful team, Champions League, money, wealth, everything. At 27 years old, and he says, and I felt so empty. His soul was dead. And folks, all of us experience that relative to our own lives. All of us have the carnival mirrors. How is it done? Well, James tells us that the word itself is like a mirror. James 1 says, look at the word. It's like a mirror. If you don't use it, if you don't put it to action, it's like looking at yourself and forgetting who you are. We have a mirror in the word that tells us the words of Jesus, that Jesus is present from Genesis to Revelation. He's present in the creation. He's present in the waters of Noah and in the ark. He's present in the liberation of his people from Exodus. He's present in the story of Nehemiah. He's present in the New Testament in his words and actions, and his spirit is present as he births the church. And we read about that from now to Revelation. As we open his word to us, that in itself is a mirror that we can bring all the carnival mirrors to, and we can bring the truth of this to bear on all the distorted images. There's a phrase in the New Testament, and it's used 188 times. And it's two words, and it says this, in Christ. In Christ. I want to encourage you tomorrow morning, when you set out for the rest of your week and the alarm goes off, spend two minutes dwelling on those two words. In Christ. Your identity is in him. 180 times we are told, in him. Lies, we get to bring it to that, in him. Discouragement, we get to bring it to that promise in him. Disunity, falling out, health, concerns, all of that stuff, we get to bring to the truth of our identity, which is in him. I want to just really finish quickly because I'm over time. In baptism, uh, and in Jesus' baptism, we see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit at work. And uh, in Matthew 28, when Jesus tells his disciples to go and make uh, disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, I'd always read that, honestly, I'd always read that as some kind of like churchy language, you know, that we do everything in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I read it as some kind of like charge, almost like some kind of legal precedent. Uh, But baptism, uh, the word literally means to be immersed. In fact, John the Baptist in the Danish translation was called John the Dunker. Just, I think it's a much better name for John the Baptist. John the Dunker. But it means to be immersed. Immersed. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, baptizing them in, not by, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it is to be immersed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. What existed before God breathed out creation? God, yeah. Can we, anything else we can add to that? 
So before the first day of creation, however you feel if that was literal or, or whatever it might be, but before creation comes into order, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are dwelling. When Claire's baptized in a minute, we're going to baptize it into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And at the beginning of time itself, in the foundations of the universe, there was relationship. There was love. There was Father, Son, and Spirit perfectly relating to one another in love, perfectly in unity. And so, friends, for all of us, when we've been baptized and immersed into the Father, the Son, and Spirit, we are immersed into love, this love relationship, that the laws of the universe are written in love. Why is it that we feel so good when somebody's kind to us or when we find it within us to be kind? Because it's as if it's written into the law of the universe. Why is it that we desire unity in our neighborhoods and in our families or even around our own dinner tables? Because there is something intrinsically good because it's written into the laws of the universe. Why is falling in love the most ecstatic thing? And why is being married 40 years equally ecstatic? Because there's something about love that is written into the laws of the universe. Love existed right at the beginning. Love has existed right at the beginning. And friends, our place and where we have come from is love itself. It is not through a random set of events. It is from love. And why, why is that even important? Because when we know that, it means that there's such a thing as meaning. Things mean stuff. That's a really eloquent sentence. Things mean stuff. There is meaning in your life. Things actually do mean something because we've come from something else. If we just came from a random sea of DNA, there is no such thing as meaning. But because we've come from love, there is meaning. There is meaning. There is personhood. That all people, all people are of intrinsic value because we didn't come from a random set of occurrences, but because we have come from the place of love. And it means that there is morality, that we can say that this is good and this is wrong, that there is a right and a wrong, there is a light and a darkness, because we have a framework, a place to be able to say, this is what measures up. There is personhood, there is meaning, and there is morality. Ecclesiastes 3 says this, God has written eternity on our hearts. Eternity is this, the hope for something more than what we see in the present. It is written on our hearts. And that is where we have come from. He identifies with us. He gives us identity. And he reveals the identity of the Godhead that we are immersed into. And so we're going to just play our little part in that in the next few minutes as we baptize and as we dedicate uh, our three wonderful people today. Why don't we um, just take just two minutes? We're going to do a little quick turnaround. And uh, if you need to get changed, I don't know if yeah, Tony's gone to get changed. Uh, we'll just do a little quick time. So just a quick meet and greet. We'll come back at around about 22. And then we're going to do uh, the final bits and pieces as we celebrate together.
You can dramatically lower the chances of a burglary by protecting your home with a very sure smart alarm. service comes from Trelawney Benefice. We're a group of seven churches in southeast Cornwall. We'll be on board trawlers, crabbers and lifeboats as well. All my life you have been so, so great. With every breath here I am able. We'll sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in my darkest night. You were close like no other. Wonderful. Okay, guys, if you want to come back together, and uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping Joseph is around. <laughs> George, is Joseph around? Where is he? Can we have him? <laughs> We're just waiting for uh, for the main man. Did somebody tell our... I think the kids were meant to get a signal that they are due to come back in. Oh, somebody's gone. Okay. Sorry, guys. I, I, uh, I should have waited to make sure that Joseph was here, but he's not, so um, he's on his way. But um, I didn't really say a lot about dedication. We... Should I say something about dedication? We, uh, we think dedication is, is really, really important. We... Some of you uh, have baptized children, maybe you were baptized as a child, and uh, we're an Anglican church, and <clears throat> that is always an option, but we also think that dedication Thanksgiving is uh, really, really key, because what we're doing in dedication is actually uh, giving thanks for new life, we're giving thanks for the family, and we're making a promise uh, to support that family and to uh, give that kind of direction and wisdom um, and support where, where it's helpful, but to hold them together. Coming, kids. Wonderful.
There he is. Great. Let's welcome Joseph and George and Savos. Wonderful. Is your sister coming? Oh, she's filming. Okay. Great. Why don't you guys come over here a little bit? And uh, Stavros is going to read to us to start us off. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. 7 to 18, is it? Yes. It's, uh, this part is Psalm 139 from verse 7 to verse 18. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You need me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grace of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Great. Well, it's our great privilege to dedicate and give thanks for Joseph. And um, Joseph, just want to come in the middle of it with your dad. That's great. And friends, there's a little bit that we need to do as well. So there's going to be two prayers uh, that we will say, and they will come up on the screen. I'll give Toby the special signal, which is that. No, not yet. No, that was a fake special signal, okay? So, um, and we will do that together. You okay? You're looking very smart, Joseph. That's wonderful. So we're going to use a little bit of liturgy. George, you want this? You got one? Okay. Okay. You're right. <laughs> so you do the bits in bold. Okay. Yeah. George, uh, do you, George and Savas, do you receive this child, Joseph, as a gift from God? We do. Do you wish to give thanks to God and seek his blessing? We do. God, our creator, we thank you for the wonder of new life and for the mystery of human love. We thank you for all who support and skill surround and sustain the beginning of life. We thank you that we are known to you by name, loved by you from all eternity. We thank you for Jesus Christ, 
who has opened to us the way of love. And we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. What name have you given this child? Joseph Patrick Constantina. Joseph Patrick. Brilliant. As Jesus took children in his arms and blessed them, so now we ask, Joseph, I'm just going to lay a hand on you. We now ask for God's blessing on Joseph. Heavenly Father, we praise you for his birth. Surround him with your blessing that he may know your love. Be protected from evil and know your goodness all his days. Amen. Amen. Now, friends, there's a prayer that we're going to say all together. So, special signal. Wonder, look at that. That's amazing. Um, may Joseph learn to love all that is true. Grow in wisdom and strength and in due time. Come through faith and baptism to the fullness of your grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. May God the Father of all bless George and his family. Give them grace to love and to care for Joseph. May God give them wisdom, patience and faith and help them to provide for Joseph's needs. Reveal the love and truth that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to ask you some questions now. Will you do all that you can to help and support George? Sorry, this is to the whole congregation. Will you do all that you can to help and support George and his family in the bringing up of Joseph? We will. Should we do that again? Will you do all that you can to help and support George and his family in the bringing up of Joseph? We will. Will you do all that you can to help and support Joseph in his walk with the Lord? With the help of God, we will. With the help of God, we will. Great. Okay, and we've now got another prayer that we say together. God, our Creator, we thank you for the gift of Joseph entrusted to our care. May we be patient and understanding, ready to guide and to forgive so that through our love he may come to know your love. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The love of the Lord Jesus draw you to himself. The power of the Lord Jesus strengthen you, Joseph, in his service. The joy of the Lord Jesus fill your hearts. And the blessing of God the Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. 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 Friends, where's to- Tony? I have to sort of be good. Guys, look, he's left. That's so rude. I'm really sorry. He's... <laughs> Tony, would you, would you come up and just pray as well for us all, for the family? Why, Joseph? Lord, I just want to thank you for, for Joseph, Lord. I thank you for the wonderful, lovely little boy that he is and for the pleasure that he brings to all those around him. And Lord, I thank you for, for George. I thank you for Stavros. I thank you for the wider family. Lord, we just pray a blessing over them and we just ask that every single day that you will guide their steps, that you will protect them from the enemy and that you would grow them in your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Wonderful. Well done, guys. Let's give him a warm hand. Thank you. Thanks, Douglas. Thank you. That's just so wonderful. We, um, we really, 
you know, I just listen, the sound of the kids here is almost like a prophetic thing, I think, at Oakley. And um, I've said before, you know, sometimes we hear the kids, although they're being super good right now, but sometimes we hear the kids and they make noise and it doesn't bother us because not hearing children, the sound of no kids is deafening. The sound of having no children here is deafening. And so having kids here, having kids like Joseph, dedicating them, standing with the family is so important. And, you know, one of our values is we always are going to embrace the mess of the nursery rather than the tidiness of the graveyard. And every time I hear the kids, it's just a reminder we're we're embracing the mess of the nursery. Why? Because there's life. There's life there. That's where things happen. And so uh, it's just great to see the the kids. Um, We're now going to move on uh, to baptismal affirmation of vows. No, affirmation of baptismal vows. So I would love to welcome Stephen. Let's give Stephen a warm welcome. And uh, Stephen uh, has been with us on Alpha and is with us every Thursday uh, for a welcome place. And um, how many clocks do you own, Stephen? About 300 clocks. About 300 clocks. He's never on time. Uh, it is the great irony. <laughs> Come over here, so we can see. It is the great irony. Um, but we have 300 clocks. And it's just been wonderful to have Stephen join with us and uh, to be part of his journey as well. So Stephen was baptised. How old were you when you were baptised, Stephen? 18. So 18. So I won't ask how many years ago that was. Um, but Stephen was baptised and he wanted to do an affirmation of his baptismal vows. So in a minute, you're going to hear Claire say her baptismal vows for the first time. Stephen's done this and wanted to take this opportunity to affirm his baptismal vows. And it's a great privilege for us to play our little part in that as well. So I'm going to ask Stephen some questions and then we're going to pray for him. Stephen, do you renew and affirm the promises made when you were baptised? I do. Do you turn to faith? Do you turn in faith to Christ? I do. Do you then renounce all evil? I do, by God's help. Will you obey and serve Christ? I will, by God's help. Do you believe and trust in God the Father, Creator of heaven and earth? I believe and trust in Him. Do you believe and trust in His Son Jesus Christ to redeem the world? I believe and trust in Him. Do you believe and trust in the Holy Spirit who gives life to the people of God? I believe and trust in Him. This is the faith of the Church. We believe and trust in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those who are baptized are called to worship and serve God. Stephen, will you continue in the Apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayer? With the help of God, I will. Will you persevere in resisting evil? And whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord. With the help of God, I will. Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? With the help of God, I will. Will you seek and serve Christ in all people, loving your neighbour as yourself? With the help of God, I will. Will you acknowledge Christ's authority over human society by prayer for the world and its leaders, by defending the weak, and by seeking peace and justice? With the help of God, I will. 
Almighty God, you have given us the will to do all these things. Give us the courage and strength to achieve them to honour and glory to your name and the good of your church and people through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Stephen, may Christ dwell in your heart through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, and bring forth the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tony, do you want to come and pray for Stephen? Father, I want to thank you for Stephen, Lord. I want to thank you that he is wonderfully, fearfully made in your image. And Lord, we just dedicate him to you this morning. We thank you for his commitment and his love to you. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you dwell in this man's heart. Father, we pray your blessing over him. We pray that you will guide his steps each and every day and bring him into a closer relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Wonderful. Well done, Stephen. Let's give him a warm welcome. Thank you, Stephen. You go and take your seat. Wonderful. That's so good. And lastly, I would like to invite Claire, uh, who's going to come and get baptised. Right. Okay. Um, let me just get the right thing. Um, yeah. Great. Claire's got something you're going to read. Yeah, because I can't do spontaneous chat with all these. So I'm going to give you the mic. You're going to give me the mic from oh my heavens. Oh. Right. Okay, I'm holding the mic. That's the first. Hi. Hello. Um, I've been a Christian and coming to Oakley for about 17 years. I was raised Catholic, and at 11 years old, we stopped going to church because my mum had to ask my dad for a divorce, and she felt that she had to leave a church that couldn't support her decision. When my son Alex needed to start school, I chose All Saints, uh, as it reminded me of my Catholic primary school. Uh, Then I went to my first service at All Saints Church, and it felt familiar and okay, Uh, At one point, something remarkable happened. The vicar was conducting the service, and he said, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's hard to describe what happened to me. (laughs) But I remember very clearly knowing and then saying to myself, I've always believed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it was the maddest, loveliest thing. It was very much like the moment you realise you're in love, and I remember that very well. That's the emotional bit. The next thing, I walk past this church, and I see a big banner about Alpha with a phone number on it. So I phone up, I tell Mike I've met Jesus, and I think I'd better come and do this Alpha thing. Um, Oakley took good care of me, and I became part of the body of Christ. As my life has unfolded in the last 17 years, I have faced some significant challenges. God has shown me great patience and generosity. And lately, over the last six months, I am particularly excited about coming to church. I want to run here. 
God's grace is freeing me from a number of lifelong difficulties. And there's a lot to sing about, and I want to be baptised. You alright? Do you want another one? I brought a spare. Okay. Guys, we're just going to go through this now, and again, there'll be a bit, um, when I do the magic signal, that wasn't it, that was just a practice. Um, there were some words are going to come up, and uh, we all get to affirm our, our vows together as well, um, but that'll be obvious when, uh, when we get to that particular, particular stage. Our Lord Jesus Christ has told us that to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must be born again of water and the Spirit. And he has given us baptism as the sign and seal of this new birth. Here we are washed by the Holy Spirit and made clean. Here we are clothed with Christ, dying to sin that we may live his risen life. As children of God, we have a new dignity, and God calls us to fullness of life. I'm going to ask you a question, and if you could respond, with the help of God, we will. Everybody here, faith is the gift of God to his people. In baptism, the Lord is adding to our number those whom he is calling. People of God, will, will you welcome these fellow brothers and sisters and uphold them in their new life in Christ? With the help of God, we will. Wonderful. And now to Claire. Claire, do you reject the devil and all rebellion against God? I reject them. Do you renounce the deceit and corruption of evil? I renounce them. Do you repent of the sins that separate us from God and neighbour? I repent of them. Do you turn to Christ as Saviour? I turn to Christ. Do you submit to Christ as Lord? I submit to Christ. Do you come to Christ the way, the truth, and the life? I come to Christ. Loving Father, we thank you for your servant Moses, who led your people through the waters of the Red Sea to freedom in the Promised Land. We thank you for your son Jesus, who has passed through the deep waters of death and opened for all the way of salvation. Now send your Holy Spirit. Send your Holy Spirit. That those who are washed in this water may die with Christ and rise with him to find true freedom as your children, alive in Christ forever. Let us affirm together with those who are being baptised with Claire our common faith in Jesus Christ. So we all say this bit. Do you believe and trust in God, the Father and source of all being and life, the, the one for whom we exist? Do you believe and trust in God, the Son, who took our human nature, died for us and rose again? I believe and trust in him. Do you believe and trust in God, the Holy Spirit, who gives life to the people of God and makes Christ known in the world? I believe and trust in him. This is the faith of the church. 
This is our faith. We believe and trust in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Claire, is this your faith? This is my faith. Amen. Amen.